Welcome to the Midlands Young Life Podcast. Here, we hope to post talks from our leaderships, leader weekends, and much, much more. I hope these talks will encourage you to grow deeper in your faith with Christ and make Him known in your community. Thanks for joining us. This is talk three of four from Pat Goodman as he addresses our leadership from the 2020 Leader Weekend. I hope you enjoy. forward to what we're going to talk about this evening and I want to say this to you all that uh, what we're talking about this weekend are things that um, have come out of my own journey of faith and have helped me a tremendous amount so this isn't like just trying to prepare some talks to just go and give that's really not what this is about like I'm I really am way more concerned about life change and not just you hearing some ideas that you know kind of fly in and out and I hope that there's some things that are sticking that you sense that God is giving to you. <clears throat> so let me ask you this question. Why do you think changing is so hard? You ever thought of it? Changing can be hard, can it? And I, uh, there are a number of reasons, but I'd like to maybe offer one. And I think one of the reasons that it is so difficult is that we really don't understand what we're trying to change. We just think we do. That we don't maybe understand ourselves as deeply as it's gonna take, we don't go deep enough maybe, we wanna get on the solution side really quickly, <coughs> excuse me, and therefore, we often don't get where we wanna get. So this morning, you remember, I took this little pipe and I tried to use this as an illustration, you guys remember, of our life, that the thing that we often think is that what goes in comes out, right? And the scriptures use a number of things that um, are declarative of what come out of a human life. There can be joy, there can be kindness, there can be bitterness, there can be anger, you name it, but it comes out. But it only comes out because there's something in there and there's something only in there because something actually went in there, right? So the key is it's not a one-to-one -one ratio. It doesn't just go in and come out. It actually goes someplace and I suggested to you that the place it goes is where? It starts with an H the heart mentioned 878 times at least in the scriptures it's huge I hope that you got a sense this morning that one of the things if you're gonna live wisely if you're gonna be a person who is skilled at living you need is Proverbs 423 and I need to watch over this thing called our heart not with mediocrity or tentativeness but the scriptures say with all diligence intentionality because everything we do flows from it. It is the wellspring or the point of origin where things come from. We mentioned this morning again is that the, the Hebrews concept of the heart isn't to the left or right, it's right in the core, it's in the center, and it is a place of convergence. Dallas Willard even said it's the CEO of your life. You might see it that way, that everything goes through it in there. It's a main router, so to speak, of the human computer, it, 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 your will, your emotions, your desires, all go in and through this thing. And it is the place we live out of. This is why, again, we said in Luke, by way of, uh, by this way of review, Luke said, you know, a good tree doesn't produce bad fruit, a bad tree doesn't produce good fruit, each tree produces after its own kind, and the good man out of the good stored up in his will bring forth what is good, the evil man evil, because you basically you will declare what you are at some point at the core of your being 
it will get displayed above the waterline in your life. Are, we, are, you, are you with me? Now, the interesting thing about the heart is, um, you know, you can look really good. There's something called hypertension. Do you guys know what that is? What's that? High blood pressure. Now, the thing is, somebody can walk around and look like they're doing really great. And then all of a sudden, they drop dead. You know, what? Like, I look good, dude. Like, what was going on? What you didn't see was there was a lot going on inside that you couldn't quite see yet from the outside. But eventually, what's going on the inside is going to declare itself on the outside. It will. Just give it time. Give it opportunity. Push the right number of buttons. And what's going on in us will declare itself. So we talked about this in Mark chapter 7 today, that the Pharisees... This isn't unimportant. I'm going to draw you again. What am I drawing right now? Iceberg. An iceberg. Great. What do you guys know about the iceberg? Did you see how much? 10 to 15%, right? This is what is visible. This is what is public. This is our behavior. It's not unimportant, is it? Unfortunately, it's what gets majored in. This gets about 85% of our attention. It's unique, though, to me in that the thing that we actually live out of that should get about 85% of our attention only gets about 15. If you really want to change behavior, you probably ought to talk more about where the behavior is originating from and why you aren't living that way already than just about the behavior itself because it is connected. In fact, again, Jesus said that everything we do comes out of there. We all together. Jesus said this, Mark chapter 7. Pharisees were really jacked up about this. You didn't wash your hands the right way. They could have gone on and on and on. You know, they really could have. Jesus said, if you really care about this, you've got to care about this. Because you can get lost in a religious system up here. And it's about a scorecard that's not that significant. Again, it's not unimportant. Jesus even said, let your light shine before men in such a way, Matthew 5, 16, so that they actually see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. But do you want to do good works for a day, for a week, or a month, or have it come out of your life because it's who you are? This is why this is so doggone important. So, I want you just to imagine with me for a minute um, that I wish I brought it. I didn't, but in the middle of this, if I would have, I would have brought some Play-Doh. You guys remember Play-Doh? You guys played with Play-Doh? Tell me what you know about Play-Doh. Just Play-Doh. Besides the fact you can eat it, all right? We're going to lay that one aside. <coughs> But what do you know about Play-Doh? You can shape it, right? You can form it. Vicks SAT will be, it's malleable. You can shape it. Now, here's the other thing. Um, what determines the shape that it has? If I had it in my hand right now, what would determine the shape that it would take on? The pressure that it would exert it, right? And if I squeeze it hard, it would kind of come squish through my fingers. Or if I let it out all night and left it unattended, what would happen to it? It would get hard. And I could throw it against this wall or window and just bust into a thousand pieces. Hundreds of pieces maybe, I mean. And then if you got it all together and kind of got it wet again, you could begin to kind of mold it again and take care of it. But here's the thing I want you to think about. Our heart is like that. It is moldable. It doesn't just show up and end up all the right places. And it will basically be shaped based on, think about this, not just the pressure of the human hand, but in response to the loudest voices, if you will, or forces that shape us. And I would submit to you 
that one of the most shaping realities of our life are the voices that come into our life and many times they come in through the realm or the door of experiences. Now here's what I know. If you would check with any psychologist, they would give you this, that you know that every human being needs a certain amount of react things to live well. You can't live well without these. You're gonna pursue them no matter what. I'm gonna give you the top three that I think are the top three. First one is significance. Nobody's gonna live well if they don't feel like they have a sense of significance that their life matters. Would you all agree with that? That there's something to my existence that's important. The second one is security. Very hard to live if you don't feel like somebody's got your back or you feel secure and safe. Would you agree with that? Yeah, and the last one is belonging. People need a place to belong. We are woefully communal even if we act like we're not. Maybe put it to you another way. If somebody asked you over to their house, they said, hey, I got these pictures I want to show you. I got this photo album. And all of a sudden, you're looking at it, and it's just pictures of them. <laughs> you go, oh, okay, that's a little weird, but maybe we'll go with that. And they bring out another one, and it's just them. That'd be a little weird, wouldn't it? You know, like, we, we want to belong. We're, we're meant to have other people into our life. But here's what I know. Other things challenge where this sense of security and significance and belonging come. It's not if we're going to have this. We're going to get this somehow, some way. It's not if. It's just from where. And... We are hardwired to actually get it from the one who created us. Now, here's what I know. I don't know about your heart, but uh, mine has some holes and cracks in it. Anybody else here? Give me an illustration. My uh, mom and dad got divorced when I was seven and separated before that, but um, I never lived with my dad another day in my life, ever. Now, um, it was really interesting. I'll share more about this maybe in a little bit, but when I was 33 years old, married to my dear wife, early on in our marriage, we were married maybe 11 years or so, um, there were some things that were coming up in the way that I was relating to her. Now, I'm a regional director for Young Life at that time, like, right? Like, I got this title, like, regional director. It's crazy, isn't it? That means somebody thinks, thought I really knew something about how to do Young Life. But they didn't see me at home when my wife and I would maybe have a conflict and I would go quiet, I would answer, she would go, honey, what's wrong? And uh, guys, what do you think I said? Nothing. Yeah. Why, why did you all know that? <laughs> Say nothing, nothing, I'm fine. She goes, well, you know, after a while, let's go on. She goes, like, this is really interesting that you're fine and haven't talked to me in about a day. Like, you're acting weird. What's wrong? Nothing. So this went on, you know, this went on for months and literally on and off for a couple of years. And uh, eventually she was kind enough to say to me, um, honey, I love you and I'm not leaving you, but like this has got to stop, basically. That was my interpretation. Another way I heard it was this, you're actually a grown man, but you are acting like a little boy. Let me say that one more time. <laughs> you're actually 33, and you are not acting your age. She was basically, would you just grow up? Like, we can handle this. But my point was, I wasn't, she couldn't have been more right. So here's the point. Why am I 33, a regional director who loves God, running a Young Life Club, standing up in front of kids, telling them about Jesus, and I'm acting like a little kid with the person I married and said I wanted to be with more than anybody on the planet? What do you think about that? Dude, you were screwed up. Like, yeah, I was a little bit. So guess what? I tried to figure that out. Because here's what I know. That behavior didn't come from no place. Voices shape our life. 
And it comes in the form of experiences. From out here, we all have experiences, don't we? And I want to just make a point. These come via our families. They come via our friendships. They come via the culture. I'm just going to lop them all together in the realm of experiences. Now, here's what I know about experiences. They're actually true, which means they happen, right? Are you with me? And But here's the thing that we often don't think about. Think, imagine like a UPS truck coming along with the experience and the UPS truck comes along and it dumps messages, delivers a message with the experience that may or may not be true. But if you believe something to be true that's actually a lie, what does that do to you? And it goes down in here. What does it do to you? Any ideas? It puts you in an internal emotional prison. So here's what happened to me. My dad would come home. I just learned to read. And I remember he would drive around the Washington, D.C. Beltway. When he got near to where my uh, exit was, I could read Georgia Avenue. And you have to picture this. My dad was an avid outdoorsman. He would pick me up on Friday after work, and we would either go hunting, fishing, or shooting bow and arrow. Like, what could be more fun for a seven-year-old little kid, little boy, or maybe even a little girl, if that's what you enjoy? But I loved it. And I'd have the time of my life with my dad. It was like my hero. And then I remembered coming around that beltway, and I could read Georgia Avenue, and my little heart thought, I got 10 minutes left. But I'm supposed to be strong, right? And I knew at 10 minutes, Literally, I, I couldn't think about it then, but that something in me was going to be like it was almost going to convulse and come out of me. And my dad would pull into my house and I'd get out of the car trying to be a strong little dude. And he'd come around the car and he leaned to get down on one knee and he hugged me and tell me he loved me. And I'd try to be strong and I'd run inside and I'd fall apart and I was a mess for two and a half days. And then I'd start to get excited because now it's half Wednesday and in two more days, dad's coming to pick me up. And we do this over and over and over again to the point where eventually I couldn't see him for a while because it was ripping my soul out. But subconsciously, as a little seven-year-old dude, I swore to myself, I will never feel that kind of pain again in my life if I can help it. Anything that gets close to that, I'm out. I'll please people. I'll ignore stuff. I'll do anything. Like, look, I think pleasing people is not a bad thing, but I became almost unknowingly addicted to it. Where this thing got confused, and there was a deposit, real experience with my dad. You guys get that, right? But here was the message. You can't handle conflict. <laughs> conflict might mean that you're going to be rejected. This person might leave too. Keep it even. Do you see how these lies go crazy? It can do crazy stuff to us. And we don't like pain, you know, what, you know what I mean? So when you don't want to feel pain, you know what you do? You put like a bulletproof thing over your skin. And you just decide, I'm not letting any more in, babe. But here's the deal, it's already in there. So the question is, how's it gonna come out? And we form attachments to things that help protect us, if you will, that kind of keep it safe or to keep uh, help us not to remember what's actually been done. People run to all kinds of things to numb and medicate. Nobody wants to screw their life up. I mean, have you ever met any 15-year-old kid that's ever said to you, hey, here's my goal. You know what I hope? I hope by the time I'm 23 that I've been arrested a few times, I'm a drug addict or a drunk, I've got three kids, and the rest of my life's gonna be a mess. Have you met anybody that said, that's my goal, that would really be living? No, it happens though, doesn't it? 
Yeah. You know, these guys are helping up mission I told you about, they're amazing human beings. But when we unpack this stuff, this is no kidding. One guy said to me this. I go, real experience. He goes, like when you're told that you're a piece of shit and you won't ever amount to anything? Is, is that what you're talking about? And I go, how old are you? He goes, 44. I go, when was that said to you? He goes, when I was nine. I go, you've lived with that for 35 years? He goes, oh, dude, I got way more than that. Do you see how this works? And see, here's what happens. If you and I don't deal with this stuff, something takes place. It's called a freeze point. And all it means is this. When something that is painful or maybe it's stark, it's like alarming, it's a massive loss, if you don't deal with it or face it or know how to deal with it, your emotions can freeze there. And so here's the problem. You keep growing up physically, but emotionally you stay frozen or stuck back there. I've literally met 45-year-old men who still have temper tantrums. <laughs> it's crazy. You see people like, dude, like relax. Like, why are you acting that way? You know why? Because see, when they were little, they got their way when they acted that way. And somehow it authenticates them falsely of who they are and what they are. It's crazy how these things can take place. But not all the messages we get are bad, are they? But some of them are. And we wonder sometimes, see, you're new in Christ. The old has passed away. The new has come. That's true, isn't it? But if we don't look at some of the old and speak truth to it, it still hangs around. And it holds us back and to the degree that these messages are allowed to live in us, they hold us in bondage. You could even say this, um, the level of lies that you believe, if you guys can see this, is the amount of bondage you live in. And the amount of truth is the amount of freedom. It's like a bar graph. So one of the things that Jesus wants to do, he literally is trying to erase the lies and increase truth so we don't really live in bondage. We live as free as we've been made to be so that we're actually really free. And here's what I know. The evil one is really smart. Here's what you need to know about him. We make a big mistake. I'm going to share a little bit more about this tomorrow. But you and I make two mistakes with him. One, well, three. One, we act like he doesn't exist. Two, we either give him way too much credit or we don't give him any credit. And what I mean by way too much is this. The evil one is a fallen angel. He is created. He is not Jesus' equal opposite. He is not omnipresent, meaning at all places. He's not all-knowing. He is not all-powerful. In fact, he only has as much power in our life to the degree that we give up dominion to him. This is why in Genesis chapter 3, the evil one couldn't just take over and do whatever he wanted because it wasn't him. God created mankind in his image and gave us the responsibility to rule and shape the earth. The only way that he could take over some ownership and ruling was to get up, give up, get us to give it up. And so to the degree that we give it up, he takes it and creates chaos. So how does he do this? He's got one major strategy. You ready? John 8. He flipping lies. And a good lie 
is pretty close to the truth. And I'm telling you, it says this, that when he lies, he's the father of lies, and when he lies, he speaks his native language. Another name for the evil one, you could be Diablos, or you could be divider, splitter. And what he wants to do is literally split your heart so you don't flourish. See, when we all say this first, you know, John 10.10, 10, I can't even have life and have it more abundantly. That is not John 10.10. 10. That's the second half of John 10.10. 10. John 10.10 10 is this. There is one who comes to kill and steal and destroy. And he does it by lying. Because when you believe lies is truth and you take it in, then you live in response to the reality that you think there is. If you think you can find your significant security and meaning in a place where you can't, you're still going to go there because you can't live well without significant security and belonging. You're going to find it someplace. It's either going to be the right place, this life-giving, or it's going to be crazy places and mayhem. But he's a master at this. But then it says, but Jesus said, but I said, Jesus said, in contrast to that, I came you could have life. That isn't just life. That is zoe. There's two words for life in Scripture. One is bios, which means our biological life. The other is zoe. Zoe is life that you only get from God. It is a depth and a vibrancy and a meaning that only God can give. Jesus didn't come just to give you bios. He came to give you zoe. You can get a pop in your step where you can actually be free, free. So, you know, I want to um, I want to take a look at a passage real quick in a minute. So if you could t just look at Luke 22, um, I want to show you a couple things here that I think will be really, really important. In Luke 22, verse 31, it's interesting. We've got about 15 minutes left here real quick. You guys okay? Okay. In Luke 15, verse 31, how would you like Jesus to say this to you? Number one, he's already changed Simon to Peter, but here he goes back to Simon, which is kind of interesting. Luke 22, 31, he goes, Simon, Simon. This is crazy. Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. Get this. But I prayed for you, Simon. Get this. That your faith may not fail, and when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. So Jesus is basically saying this. I pray your faith won't fail. So when you turn back, which means if you're going to turn back, what does it mean? You have to do what to turn back? You have to turn away. It just is basically saying this. Hey, Peter, I want to tell you something. Even when asked to sift you as wheat, um, but I want you to know I prayed for you, and I pray that your faith won't fail. So when you come back, strengthen your brothers. Now, this is crazy. You know this, at one point right in here, Jesus at one point said that he was going to go to the cross. He started asking in Matthew 16, who do men say that I am? And Peter goes, well, you're the Christ. You're the Son of the living God. This is like, man, I got this one right. We don't have time now, but if we track Peter, he's awesome. Peter gets a lot of hard press, but he did some great stuff. People were, yeah, well, he sank when he was walking on the water. Did you just hear what you said? He actually walked on water. I don't care how long, but I've never done that. You know, say what you will. But, you know, Peter had a few blunders. He was the one saying, who touched me? You know, and Jesus said, who touched me? He goes, hey, Lord, like a lot of people are touching you. Mount Figuration, hey, should we build three things? No, we're not going to do that. He kind of had a few hiccups along the way. But when Jesus said, look, um, I'm going to go to the cross, Peter literally gets Jesus, comes down, and he goes, oh, Lord, that's not really a great idea. I mean, in a number one, he's trying to tell Jesus, no, we're not going to do that. That's not... 
you're going to take over Rome and this is going to be awesome. And Jesus goes, um, guys, Peter, thank you. I don't know what I was thinking. That day of the cross, that's a bad idea. Bad idea. He goes, look, I don't know what you'd ever want Jesus to not say to you, but here's would be my words. He looks at Peter and goes, get behind me, Satan. Really? Like, get behind me, Satan? I mean, like, I don't really think it was Jesus calling, like, Peter, but here's the lie. You don't want me to go to the cross? That's the biggest lie. Humanity cannot be rescued any other way but a cross. It's a lie. I must go to the cross. And Peter, as good as your intentions are, they're literally from the pit of hell. My greatest expression of love is in what you don't think needs to occur. It must occur. It's a lie for it not to occur. Sure, Peter went, that was a bad thing that I said. No, no. And then Jesus says, hey, Peter goes, I, I won't deny you. He goes, yeah, you are. You will. Get this. Look down at this passage of Scripture, Luke 22, verse 60. Last time, says Peter replied, man, I don't know what you're talking about. This is the third time. Just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. Get this. The Lord turned and looked at Peter. The Lord turned and looked at Peter. Can you imagine that look? Who, baby? Then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him before the rooster crows today. You will disown me how many times? Three times. And he did. And that says, and Peter went out and he wept bitterly. Now let me ask you, did this really happen to Peter? Real experience, right? What do you think might be a message the UPS and the evil one could bring to Peter at this time to make a deposit in his heart and totally shut Peter down? Any thoughts? Can you think of any? Peter, you're a disgusting human being. You're a terrible friend. You're a failure. You got nothing to contribute. I think some of you in this room feel that about yourself. I think some people sit in rooms like this go, man, if you only knew, I don't have much to offer. I'm just this. <clears throat> Who'd want me? I'm damaged goods. I'm not as good as them. I'm not as capable as that. You love Jesus, but you still hold on to that crap. And it's a lie. And the one who wants to liberate you is saying, whose voice? I didn't come to leave you the same. St. Peter that denied Jesus a few days later in John 21, Jesus is on a beach. He's already got fish frying and he calls Peter and he gives him three chances to hear his own voice declare, I love you, Lord. I love you. You're back in the game. Listen to some of these words Jesus said to people throughout the scripture. Don't be afraid. Now on you're going to catch men. Who condemns you? Who? Neither do I. Now go in peace, John 8. To the leper, I'm willing. I'm willing. Nobody, I'm willing. Be clean. Her sins, which are many, have been forgiven. Luke 7. With men it is impossible, but with God what? All things are possible. Son, your sins are forgiven. Mark 2. I say to you, little girl, arise, get up. Comes back from the dead. This is so awesome. 
take off the grave clothes, Lazarus, right? Here's two more. I will go and prepare a place for you to be with me. Today, you will be in paradise with what? I want to ask you, what voice is going to be the loudest in your life? And until I went back and tracked some of this crap in my own life and said, Lord, I have literally betrayed you by holding on to a lie that's not true. I am experiencing less of you and actually am bringing less to the table of life that you would ever want me to bring. I want to show you something. I've showed this before. I don't know if some of you see it, but there's a, um, this beautiful art in Japanese art. is called Kintsuki art. And one of the things that's so beautiful about this, we'll show you a couple pictures here. I think we can get them up. Look at this. These are real, these were really beautiful pottery that broke. And here's what they do. They don't throw it away. And here's why. Because it was originally created by a master's hand and it was a beautiful thing. And it was a value. So you don't throw away something of value. But here's what they did. They repaired it and they repair it with this glue that is, has gold within it. And so basically, it heightens its value after it's been broken by the fact that it's been restored. Look at a couple more of these. Let's show a couple more. This is so beautiful. Isn't that gorgeous? Keep going. Let's just show a couple more. Oh, I just love it. This stuff is like priceless. Here's what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4. We have this treasure in earthen vessels. You guys, we all have things and cracks and stuff. But here's what God does. He comes with His Spirit into our heart, if you will, and He mends, if you'll let Him. But here's what we've got to be willing to do. We've got to be willing to take a look at what lies am I holding on to. I want to end with a story, then I'm going to ask you to do something crazy. Um, a number of years ago, uh, how do you guys have a dog? Anybody here have a dog? You guys love your dog? Yeah. We had a huge chocolate lab golden, I mean, a chocolate lab named Scooby. Scooby was 95 pounds, and uh, a number of years ago, we had to put him down. Like, he was really not doing well. And, you know, um, so I remember the day we had to go, and we went to the, uh, to the vet, and the vet said, hey, you guys can stay with Scooby. I'm going to come in in just a minute, give him a shot. I'm going to have a blanket. We'll lay him on the blanket. And you can just be with him, and he's going to cross his paws. His head will go down, and it'll just look like he's sleeping. And then whenever you're ready to leave, then I'll come back in again. Sure enough, Betsy and I are in the room. Doc comes in. He's kind of emotional. You know, you love your animal, and we'd had him a long time. Sure enough, Scooby's laying there. He's, like, not doing well, and gives him a shot. Sure enough, lays down, dude, out. So when we knew he was gone, <clears throat> um, I kind of made a decision. We're, we're not leaving him here. I don't want to part with him. I'm not ready. So the doctor comes in, and he goes, whoa, he was kind of shocked. He thought we were going to leave. And I said, uh, take Scooby home. He goes, uh, well, you know he's dead. I go, like, yeah, taking him home. He goes, all right, we got some other dogs here that are alive. If you want to take this dead one home, you're great. But I said, I'm taking him home. So I lifted him up, put him back in my car. We get home. I mean, this is 95 pounds of literally dead weight. I'm literally going in, and I put Scooby down where he usually would lay in our house. And I know this sounds crazy, but around... 5.30 or so, I decided I wanted to take him out again. So I took him to the front door, and I literally couldn't hold him anymore, and I put his leash on him. This is bizarre, isn't it? And I remember dragging him. It was like, dum, 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 down the stairs. 
I'm literally walking down the street, and my neighbor Bob comes up. I mean, I'm like dragging. And Bob goes, uh, Goody. And yeah, he goes, What's up? I go, Scooby. He goes, He doesn't look well. I go, uh, He's dead. He goes, What are you doing? He said, You're an idiot. I go, What do you mean? He goes, What are you doing? I go, I'm taking him for a drag. He's dead. I said, Bob, I don't want to depart with a dog. You have a dog. It's hard. He goes, that's, that's craziness. So I go down the street a little bit more, and my other neighbor comes out. And he looks at me like I've absolutely lost my mind, too. And I have a conversation with him. I go, look, I know this is difficult, but this is hard for me. And plus, I know it sounds weird, but I don't have to feed him anymore. I don't have to clean up poop or anything like that. Like, it's just scoop. And then I see Bob and my other neighbor talking, and they're, like, shaking their heads, like, what's going on? You know, weird. So let me ask you guys, do you think I really did that? Do you? So here's the truth. We had to take Scooby to the vet, and they put him down, and we left him there. Now let me ask you this. What would you think if I actually did what I told you? You would have thought I was what? Crazy. Here's what I'm saying. Then a lot of us in this room, and me too at times, are crazy. You know why? You are dragging dead dogs around. There are things that Jesus died for on the cross, and we're dragging crap around, lies. And I think he's going, what are you dragging? I died for you. There's a louder voice. You are not the sum of those experiences. They are real, but they don't define you. I define you because your life, Paul says, Colossians 3, 5, is hidden with God in Christ. I will give you the capacity to deal with these things, to speak truth to the lie. Experience true, message may not be. You, with the Lord, can do this because He wants to liberate us. He did not come so the evil one can have us dragging stuff around where we're trying to love Jesus, limping through life, not growing up. He actually wants our emotional age to click in with our actual anatomical age so we act our age. And we are people that bring something whole to the world. Does that make sense? So here's what I'm going to do. We have five minutes left. I'm going to bring a trash can up here. And here's what I want to ask you to do. I want to give you, maybe we can find some light music. Can we do that on the, maybe some light, we're going to play some light music. And then at 6.15, we're going to tell you what we're going to do next. But between now and then, I want to give you an opportunity if you'd like. This isn't magic, but it will mark a moment. If you'd like to maybe take a moment, close your eyes with the Lord, and just say, Lord, what lie am I believing about me that it is time to put dead dogs down? Write it down. Fold it up. Fold it up three times. Let me pray, and then we'll uh, play a little music and we'll do this, all right? Lord. Thank you for your truth. Jesus, thank you that you came truly to set us free. God, I pray that we would want to be as free as you created us, that we wouldn't be afraid to grow up. So, Lord, even if this moment we were going to mark it, if we even don't totally know what to do, we can at least say, I know this I'm going to do. I'm not going to be subject to this anymore. It's time to deal with it. 
So Lord, help us. Help us feel your mercy and grace that we can know you pray for us. And then we could hear you say, fear not, my little child, I'm with you. And I will never forsake you. In Jesus' name. Thanks so much for listening to the Midlands Young Life Podcast. If you enjoyed this talk, share it with a friend. Leave us a review. This helps other leaders find us and get access to all this awesome resources. Thanks so much. 